This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Why is it that preachers want to glance over certain passages in the Bible? You know, I've seen it happen too many times for this not to be factual. When a man stands up behind a pulpit every Sunday morning for 20 years and does not talk about certain issues, it's generally because he is afraid of the ramifications that it might have upon the church. Now, I'm not saying that this is always the case. I know that sometimes a preacher may just not feel he has studied enough about a topic, and he might need to look deeper into the meaning of a text, and I have no problem with that. But is this the case generally? I do not think so at all. I think that it is the fear of man that causes preachers to shy away from teaching on the forbidden topics. Quote-unquote forbidden, that is. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27, to the elders of Ephesus that he had not shunned in declaring the entire or the whole counsel of Yahweh. And that's what I want to be able to say as a minister of the word of Yahweh. And this is Brother Matthew, and I'm so glad to be back with you for another evening of studying our Heavenly Father's Word. And we're going to get into a topic that is very rarely talked about. Let me continue with the introduction. You know, I was preaching recently, and I made the remark that if you find a church that honestly preaches the truth of the Bible without fear or favor of man, you aren't going to find a big mega church. See, the reason that churches get so big is because there isn't any preaching of conviction coming across the pulpit. There's no sense of being lost in people because they do not think they need to be found. They're not told that Yahweh will destroy them and that he hates their sin. They're not told that they are but mere clay in the hands of the almighty potter. They're not told of their sin and how dreadfully sinful they are. What they are told is that they need to believe in their self, be a positive thinker, and expect financial blessings from the Lord. Religion is so man-centered today that I believe it makes the master want to vomit. And I don't see how I'm off course with that statement. Our Lord said to those of Laodicea that because they were lukewarm, he wished to vomit them out of his mouth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. You know, it's difficult, though, being a preacher or a pastor. I personally do not like that title placed on my name, but sometimes my position as a pastor comes out in conversation. I was once asked about the church that I attended, and I explained to this person that asked about the church, and the next question was, well, who is the pastor? Well, seeing that I am the one whom Yahweh has seemed to call to do the preaching at the church I attend, not anything in me, all to do with Almighty Yahweh, I answered, well, I'm the pastor. And when I say that, I usually see an immediate change in a person's demeanor when I have a conversation like that take place. I try not to bring it up. Sometimes it gets brought up anyhow. Well, number one, either they're baffled because I'm a young man, I'm 32 years old, or they're shocked because of the way that I'm dressed. 
My regular job has me cleaning out septic tanks, by the way. I do work in labor. I'm not a paid minister. I work in labor with my own hands. And so I'm usually not dressed in the cleanest of clothes. So they're usually shocked. I tell them I'm a pastor, and yet I'm out there working on a septic tank. Or sometimes people begin to act like they're real holy because of the title that has just been applied to me. And, you know, I do my best to let them know that I do not consider myself a pastor in the ordinary sense of the word. I can pastor or shepherd people right out there on the job site or if I'm in the grocery store. It doesn't have to be in an air-conditioned building behind a pulpit with a microphone attached to me. But what's difficult about being a pastor is how to bring a message across. Many times I feel a sermon in my inner man, but to get it from my inner man into my mind and from my mind into the minds of others, and then finally into their inner man from their mind can be somewhat easier said than done. And the process even becomes trickier when the message is one that I know is not going to sit well with the people that are hearing. You know, I know I have to preach the message. That's not the problem. But I don't want people to shut their ears before the message is over. If they can at least catch a glimpse or have a few minutes of the sermon embedded within them to think about it and mull over it for the week, then I believe I've done what I'm required to do as a minister. Sometimes, though, it's very hard. And one message that's hard to get people to listen to is the role of the woman in marriage. Now, I know that I've been talking about husbands loving their wives, but I'm not planning on doing a sequel to this series. So I feel like I need to include at least a little teaching on the life of a wife and on how a woman should live her life towards her husband. Now, I've preached on this subject at church or at a conference or just to women in general, and usually the response that I get, although maybe not in the same way from every woman, is, who in the world does he think he is to talk to us women like that? That's the feeling that I get from women when the truth of the biblical subject of the role of the woman in the marriage is preached. Now, I'm not by any means against women. I'm married to one, for goodness sakes. I love her with all my heart. I'm not against women, and I do not believe they are less saved or inferior in Yahweh's plan of salvation. I think I've mentioned this verse already, but let me mention again Galatians 3, verse 28, where it teaches us that there is neither male nor female in the Messiah. And in context, what that means is the Messiah saves those that come to Yahweh through him, whether male or female. My wife is not any less saved than me. That's the point that Paul makes in the text. If a person has faith in Yeshua, Yeshua's life, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, then they will be in the kingdom. One of the requirements of the kingdom is not that you have to be a male. Females will be in the kingdom. Now, here's the part that most preachers do not talk about. This text in Galatians doesn't mean that all of the distinctions and the roles of man and woman, the husband and wife, all of a sudden stop. For example, women still have children, and men do not. My wife has been pregnant five times with all of our children. I've not been pregnant once. I'm being facetious, but you get my point. 
it is that a woman is still given the role of a woman, just like a man is given the role of a man. And the man shouldn't take on the position of the woman, but likewise the woman should not take on the position of the man. And this means that a woman should seek to be in the role for which she was created. And she was created to be the helper to the man. Now, in the beginning, Yahweh made himself a man. His name was Adam, or in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Adam, most likely. Prior to that making of, of man, all through Genesis 1, we find that Yahweh created many other things. And each thing that Yahweh made was good. And I remember reading the story as a child, or being read to, and hearing the story of the creation. And Yahweh would pronounce upon his creation, and it was good. And I love that. I love that, because... After all those, it was good. We come to the first thing that is not good. And this is stated in Genesis 2, verse 18. The man that Yahweh made should not be alone. Yahweh said, it is not good for man to be alone. Yahweh then says that he will make a helper that is suitable for the man. Now, the word help in Hebrew basically means to aid or assist and lend strength to. And it's amazing to see how that this very same word, azer, in Hebrew, is actually used of Yahweh many times in Scripture in saying that he was the help of Israel. And he also helped other individual people within the nation of Israel. Yahweh came to their rescue. He came to their help. He lent strength to them. And wives, this is what you were created to be for your husband an aid, an assistant, one who lends strength to your husband. See, the wife was not made to nag at Adam or to tell Adam about all of his shortcomings. Now, I'm sure Adam had some downfalls. I know he did, for he fell into sin. But Eve was called to encourage Adam. Eve's calling was not to find a way to degrade her husband or tell him how he wasn't, quote-unquote, meeting her needs. She was called to assist him in whatever he needed. She was created to be his helper. That's the role of the wife. Now, I'm finding more and more in society that wives are seeking to do their own thing, and they want their own job, they want their own money, they want their own schedule. They come first and not their husband or their family. And how, wives, is that being an aid to your husband? Now, this may seem contrary, what I'm saying may seem contrary to what is taught in the world or even in the church world. But listen, a woman's place is not in the work field. A woman's place is not to leave her children with someone else to watch each day and then go off to work. That's not what righteous women do. A righteous woman is to be a keeper of the home. Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 tells us that the elder women are required to teach the younger women to be keepers at home, amongst other things. Now, I'm often asked if I'm married or if I have children by people that I meet on the job or what have you. And I'm very excited when I'm asked that question for I'm pleased with my wife. I love her. She's great. And I'm pleased with my children. They're wonderful as well. Another question that comes up, not, not as often, but sometimes, is I'll get asked, well, what does your wife do, Matthew? And my very pleased response is this. Well, she is a homemaker. She stays home and takes care of the affairs of the house 
and homeschools our children. Now sometimes, when I say homemaker, there's a disgusted look on people's faces. Because they think that I've got my wife tied down to a post at home, and I won't let her out of the house. Nothing could be further from the truth. People that know me know that that's not the case. See, my wife is happy to be the keeper of the home. She knows that Yahweh created her for that purpose. And the more practice she gets at fulfilling her role, the more blessed and more happy she will be, and the more blessed and happy this home will be. Another thing that the elder women should teach the young women is how to be chaste. Now, that's not a word that we use too often in 2013, but it basically is a word that means pure, clean, and modest. Paul uses the word in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, to describe virginity, and 1 John 3, 3 translates the word as pure when speaking of how believers need to purify themselves, even as Yahweh the Father is pure. And I believe that we learn from this that a woman needs to be a woman. A woman's place is not to be boisterous, obscene, or flaunting. A woman needs to act feminine, delicate, and womanly. Now, I have to speak here for just a bit on the dress of women, how they dress. I'm not teaching on modesty in this sermon, but a brief word about this is needed. I've met some women in my life who I give great respect to. And each one of them knows how to dress like a woman should. I'm talking about women who seek to show forth the Messiah in their outward adornment. They're not concerned with showing their cleavage, their breasts. They're not concerned with making sure their pants are tight, where you can see every crack and crevice on their body. They're not interested in how many men look at them because their heart belongs to their husband. Now, these type of women are not found regularly today. Most women look like they either belong to some motorcycle gang or some playboy mansion. And that's sickening, not just to me, but that's sickening to the master. Now, how do I know that Yahweh doesn't approve of this? Well, he tells us plainly in Paul's first letter to Timothy. It's a text that doesn't get quoted much, rarely if ever gets preached on. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, where it says that women should dress in modest clothing. See, tight pants and halter tops are not modest women. Bathing suits are not modest. Low-cut shirts are not modest. Short skirts, short dresses are not modest. No, all of that is not for Christian women. Women should dress in long and loose clothing and not seek to accent their bodies, but rather to modestly cover their bodies. The passage in 1 Timothy goes on to speak of how women should be shamefaced, and that's the King James rendering. And that word carries with it the meaning of bashfulness or a downcasted eyes. In other words, a woman is to be gentle, quiet, and meek. She is not supposed to talk over her husband. She's not supposed to correct him in front of others. And I'm not saying that a wife has nothing good to say. I learn from my wife all the time. She's very intelligent, very smart. But the place of a wife is not to make her husband look like he doesn't know what he's talking about in public. She's to consider him and honor him as the leader and the head in their marriage and the leader of their family. This brings me to Paul's admonition to wives in his letter to the Ephesians. 
Paul states that the wife is to submit herself to her husband. Now, if there is one scripture that I have seen twisted and distorted and turned and tried to be explained and made to say something that it never intended, it's this scripture. People say, well, now we've read this scripture and you see this really doesn't mean submit like what you are thinking. I've heard it so many times. And I get frustrated because nothing frustrates me greater than to see someone take a very clear scripture and muddle it with eloquent speech and flattering words. The text tells us what it means. We don't even have to look up the word submit because the text in itself tells us in English what the word means. Ephesians 5.24 says that the wife submits to the husband just as the church submits to the Messiah. Now, do you think that a preacher is going to misunderstand what the Bible means when it says the church should submit to Christ? I highly doubt it, although some in this day and age, false prophets, may misinterpret that. But it should be painfully obvious that what that means is that the church or the assembly, the congregation, is up under the headship and the lordship of Yeshua the Messiah. He's the leader. The church is to follow his lead. The church is not in an equal role with Messiah. The church doesn't get to override an ultimate decision made by the Messiah. The Messiah is master over the church. And yes, the husband is to be the master of his wife. I know that a lot of women at this point in the lesson may want to cut off the radio or stop listening to the recording and forget about the other sermons where I've taught about a husband's role to his wife. That's why I introduced this lesson tonight, talking about how that people do not want to hear the whole counsel of Yahweh. Most people want to serve the Most High only in the areas that are comfortable with them. Keeping the commandments that they're already keeping and not applying the commandments or the teachings of Scripture to their life when it would cause them to have to change what they are doing. I don't want to lose you women. I want you to know that the husband should not disregard the petitions, requests, and suggestions of his wife. See, the Messiah listens to the prayers of the saints. And many times he answers our prayers for our own good. He's compassionate towards his assembly. He doesn't treat his assembly with contempt. But there are some times when he does not answer those in his church. He does not give them what they think they need. He gives them what he knows they need. And you know what? I'm thankful that he does that. A woman might ask, Brother Matthew, you mean my husband is the master of me? I know that might be hard to swallow, but let's allow the scriptures to be our guide. The answer is yes. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-6. through 6. The text speaks of women and that they should understand that their beauty is not skin deep. Their beauty doesn't consist in their jewelry or their hairstyles or their clothing. But their beauty is found in the inner woman, in the heart of the woman. It's the meek and the quiet spirit of the woman that is of great price in the sight of Yahweh. The text goes on to say that this is how the holy women of old adorned themselves. They didn't just think about beautifying themselves on the outside. 
they adorn themselves by being in subjection to their own husbands. That word subjection in 1 Peter 3 is used in Luke 2.51 where Yeshua was subject to Mary and Joseph as a little child. And in Luke 10.17 we read where the devils were subject unto the disciples through the Messiah's name. And in the same book, 1 Peter 2.18, it says that servants should be subject to their masters. See, there really isn't any denying what the word means. A wife is to be in submission or to be obedient to her husband because he is her master. 1 Peter 3 verse 6 then shows how Sarah obeyed Abraham and she called him master. Now that's a tough one. Now personally, my wife does not literally call me master all the time. Sometimes she does. But I don't think that's what matters the most. The point of the verse is that the wife should treat her husband and interact with him as though he is her master. And my wife does a great job at that. And I'm thankful that Yahweh has given her that kind of a heart. See, a man should come home from a hard day's work to find his wife ready to kiss him at the door and ask him how his day is gone and lead him to the bath that she has prepared. I love that. A man should find that his wife has prepared dinner. She desires to make the rest of his day comfortable. She should ask her husband what she can get him and if there is anything she can do to please him. She should treat him like the king of the home. Now, let's go back for a second to Ephesians 5. I want to get into some technicalities here. Because Ephesians 5 verse 23 tells us that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Now, that places a strong responsibility on the man, and that's why I spoke the better part of this sermon series in relation to the man's role. But I want to concentrate on the woman here. We should see that a wife has to recognize her husband as the head. He's the priest of the home. And I often show women how this does not belittle them. It's not belittling or pushing them down low and stomping on them. But it places them in their proper role. And the example that I use is with the children. The children in my home are under the authority of their parents. Now that doesn't mean that the children are lesser humans in the eyes of Yahweh. They're precious to Yahweh the Father. But what it does mean is that the children must be subject to their mothers and to their fathers because they have a different role. And likewise, a wife must be subject or in submission to her husband because she has a different role. At the end of Ephesians 5.24, the text says that the wife is to be subject to her husband in everything. That's what the text says, and I believe it. And what we have to understand here is that the text is referring to a Christian husband when it speaks of everything. And What I mean is that a wife is bound first and foremost to Yahweh, just like us men are. A wife's relationship with Yahweh always comes before her relationship with her husband. That doesn't mean that she neglects her husband to study the Bible. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that if a husband's wishes are contrary to the written law of Yahweh, then the wife has to disobey her husband in order to obey Yahweh. And that goes for all earthly submissiveness. That's like governments. We're required to disobey the government if they contradict the law of Yahweh. There's nothing wrong with submitting to a wicked government. Like, I stop when I see a stop sign or I turn my blinker on when I'm about to go right or left. I've got no problem with those things. But when an earthly government contradicts Yahweh's law, then, like Daniel, I have to march back up and pray, no matter if they tell me not to pray to Yahweh. 
So let's say that a husband wants his wife to help him in a bank heist. And I know that's extreme, but it'll help my point be made. Is the wife required to help him? Well, Ephesians 5.24 says she submits to him in everything, right? Well, that's what it says, but it is everything in a Christian law-abiding context. Yahweh's law commands against thievery. Therefore, the wife must disobey her husband in that area. She can't just go rob the bank and then tell Yahweh, but you said I had to submit to my husband, Yahweh. No, that's not going to work. But let's get a little bit more practical here. Let's say that a woman is married to an unbeliever, an unbelieving husband, which, by the way, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, tells her she is still to submit to an unbelieving husband. Let's say this unbelieving husband demands that she stop going to her church on the Sabbath. Well, what does she do? Now, the answer should be easy. Yahweh has told us in his word that we are to attend public fellowship on the Sabbath, Leviticus 23.3. He's told us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Hebrews 10.25. So the wife should go to the Sabbath service because Yahweh comes first. She should disobey her husband in that area and hope and pray that he will one day understand. However, what if the husband asked the wife to stay home instead of going to a weeknight Bible study? The unbelieving husband asked her this. Is the weeknight Bible study commanded? No, it is not. It's not a commandment. I'm not saying it's wrong to do. It's a great thing to do, but it's not a commandment. Yahweh does not absolutely require her to go to the Bible study. She can study at home. She can study at other times when her husband permits. So the wife should submit to her unbelieving husband and stay home and not go to the Bible study because she is to submit to her husband in any area that doesn't contradict the law of Yahweh. Now, I want you to recognize that a wife is to obey her husband even when she differs with him on certain scriptural subjects. He might see a scriptural passage or command one way, and she may see it in another way. Well, so long as you're not in sin, wife, you should obey your husband's understanding over your own understanding. For example, a husband may see that the scriptures require a woman to wear a head covering when she prays, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Maybe, though, his wife doesn't see the passage that way, and she has a different understanding. It's not that she rejects the passage. She just believes it teaches something different than her husband believes. Well, in that case, she should follow her husband's understanding. The wife is not going to be in sin if she wears the head covering, but she will be in sin if she disobeys her husband. And wives, there is no need to blur the distinction here. Don't pretend that you're disobeying your husband for Yahweh's sake when you're really not. You're to submit to your husband in everything. You're more than capable of recognizing if his requests are against Scripture or in favor of Scripture. And I will also say that even in cases where you must disobey your husband to obey Yahweh, you need to do it gracefully and not boisterously or defiantly, but do it gracefully. Once again, that reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, where the Bible says that wives with unbelieving husbands should submit to them. The husbands are even said in that text to not be obedient to the word. See, these husbands can be one to the Messiah without a verbal word from the wife because the husband will behold 
the wife's chaste conduct and holy behavior. And he will see that her desire is to please her husband in all things, even though she follows Messiah and he does not. There are many good books out there on the place of the woman in the marriage and the home. And I've only touched the surface here in this lesson. But hopefully, just hopefully, I've given a place for you to begin. I'm not in any way trying to belittle women at all. I love my wife. I've been married to her now for almost 16 years. She is quite an awesome woman. But all I can do in this short lesson is to seek to ignite a fire, a good righteous fire in the hearts of women to be a true wife to their husband. See, women who seek to please their own selves and not their husbands are doing nothing but wasting their life. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.